fellow romance readers, I'm Amy. And I'm Sarah, and this is Post Book Depression. You know that feeling you get when you finish a good book that you didn't want to end? Have you finished a book and just weren't ready to move on from the story and its beloved characters? You find yourself needing just a little more? Well, this multi-trope romance podcast gives you the opportunity to dig deeper with us into books we love as we discuss all the reasons we can't move on. Feeling chatty? You can continue the conversation with us on Instagram at Post Book Depression Podcast or on Facebook in our Post Book Depression discussion group. We would love for you to subscribe to our podcast and take a brief moment to leave a review. Are you ready? Let's discuss. Welcome to the show. I'm Amy. And I'm Sarah. And today we're going to be talking about Bad Mother by one of our absolute favorites, Mia Sheridan. Yeah, so the first few minutes we're going to do a brief review of the story without any spoilers. Then we're going to shift into a deeper book discussion, which is going to include lots of spoilers. Don't worry, we're going to let you know when we do shift into that deeper book discussion. Okay, before we get to that, Amy, go ahead and tell us a little bit about what Bad Mother is about. So a woman named Sienna nearly loses her job with the NYPD, but is offered a transfer to the police department in her hometown of Reno. Her first case on the job is a serial killer who has a curious fixation on her and after perplexing clues start making the case more personal for her by bringing in her ex-fiance, she realizes the killer must be someone close to home. This story has plenty of suspense with an underlying romance story woven throughout. Sarah, what did you think about Bad Mother? Okay, I have to reiterate how much I love Mia Sheridan. We've read almost everything. I think we're lacking like two stories. So this was just the best. And nobody does a romance thriller quite like Mia Sheridan. We love the Where Duet. We've talked about that. Bad Mother is right there with it. It was so compelling. I was on the edge of my seat. But one of the things I love about Mia Sheridan is I'm not scared during her romance thrillers. <laughs> I appreciate that um, because I don't like to be scared, but I am on the edge of my seat and I want to know the mystery and the why behind it. And I love, once again, she's taken this character that you are not supposed to the be on their side mm-hmm. and you kind of sympathize or empathize with them. And so it's just so well-written. What did you think of it? This was one of my most anticipated reads of 2023. Mm. Like you mentioned, we've read most of her backlist and I can always count on Mia to get me out of a book slump. Oh, 100%. She's my go-to. Yeah, she's fantastic for that. She always writes these stories that are fast-paced, they hold your interest all the way to the end, and this story has one of my favorite combinations, suspense and romance. So you know I was a fan. Oh, for sure. 100%. (laughs) All right, let's get into our ratings. Angst. Okay, angst. You would think it would be a little bit higher being a romance thriller, but I just rated it a three. I gave it a three, too. Tell me why. Okay, well, Actually, I... Actually, I did three and a half. Oh, okay. So I gave it a three because, like I said, it was I was on the edge of my seat. There's a lot of mystery to it. There's a serial killer, so, you know, there's angst. <laughs> Stakes people. are high. <laughs> Stakes are high, you know, but I, I didn't feel like it was... You know those uh, books where there's just overwhelmingly angsty? Mm-hmm. This is not it for me. I but agree. because it of what it's dealing with the the notion of the whole the whole premise of the story is a three. Yeah, that's I gave it three and a half because of the mystery and suspense aspects of the story and just trying to solve the crime and figure out what's happening. That was why I gave it three and a half. Okay, humor. Okay, humor. This was just a point two five for me. I did point five. We were close. Yeah, it's not a humorous story. No, this one. <laughs> so there's really not a whole lot to laugh about. Yeah, very few, if any, humorous moments. Yeah, that's spiciness. Spiciness. I gave it a one. 
We were close again. I did yeah. one and a half. Yeah. I, I Not a ton. I saw my numbers flip for a second. I was like, wait, I don't remember it being that high. So that's tears. Hold on. We'll come to that. Um, no, I gave it a one. It's not spicy. If you need low spice to no spice, this is it. I think so, too. There's like a scene. And There's it's well very, yeah. done. It's yeah. well written. So Absolutely yeah. agree. 100%. Tears. Okay, this was a four for me. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. Because I feel like it's very important that we share. If you, you need to look at the trigger warnings mm-hmm. of this. There That's is true. some aspects of this story that it can be very triggering for many as, people, many mm-hmm. people, whether personally or because of connection to other people. So definitely you need to read the trigger warnings before you go into this. It made me emotional for what the character has to endure. And it is dealing with a serial killer. So it's it's emotional. But there is something specific that a character endures that I just, it's a, it's, yeah. it's a lot. So. so I did one and a half. So I was significantly lower than you. Even though there are definitely sad moments, mm-hmm. most of it is off the page. It's not extremely descriptive of the things that are happening. It's right. alluded to, you kind of get just an overall view. And because of that, I brought the rating down a little yeah. bit. Or a lot <laughs> compared to A lot compared, compared to, to me because it just, I just, yeah. <laughs> All right, overall. Overall, this is a 4.5 for me. Oh, I love I, that. I just, I love Mia Sheridan and I am just, I love reading when she has a romance thriller. The Where Duet is one of my absolute favorites and this just kind of gave that vibe for me. It does, yeah. It's just one of my favorites and it's going to stay with me. I I really enjoyed it. It's great. I did 4.25. I love the mystery aspects, the puzzles that they have to kind of solve to solve the crime. I was a fan of that. Mm -hmm. Some of the details were a little bit predictable to me, but I really enjoyed the journey of the ride that she takes us on. I mean, it's hard to be disappointed by Mia. She's a solid writer, and Mm -hmm. this one is definitely a top choice for me. Agree. Same. That concludes the spoiler-free quick review of the story. Now we're going to shift into a deeper book discussion, which is going to include lots of spoilers. So if you haven't read this story, stop what you're doing right now, go check it out, and then come back and listen to our full discussion. Then you can find us on social and let us know your thoughts on the story. You can find us on Instagram at Post Book Depression Podcast, on Facebook in our Post Book Depression discussion group, and you can always email us at postbookdepressionpodcast at gmail.com. Mia's stories are so compelling. Let's kick it off, shall we? Let's do it. We learn as we first get into this story that Sienna has transferred from New York to Reno in the police department. And right out of the gate, she gets assigned a brand new murder. And so we are going to just kick it off right in. We're going to get into the nitty gritty of the murder. We're going to talk a little bit more about her transfer and the reason for that as we get later into the episode. But let's start with... The murder case. Oh, girl. This scene, well, I mean, what was it, like day two that she gets a call or something Brand in the new. middle of the night? Wow. Okay, way to just way to jump right hit in. the ground running. <laughs> I mean, man. So this scene is very graphic. There is a woman who has been brutally murdered. She's been strangled, and they she's like posed. Mm-hmm. That was so creepy. It was. Were you not creeped out? I was creeped out. Yeah, I loved it, though. But I oh, lo- no, I did, too. I love crime shows. <laughs> So this story was right up my alley. You know this. I love a good suspense murder. Yeah. This is some serious CSI. Which because, I loved. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it. when she rolls up to this, this woman is posed in a chair. She's bound. She's been strangled. But what they find so odd is she's holding a deck of cards. Mm-hmm. And, like, 
posed with them. Yeah. So it's obviously a clue. It's obviously a clue. And so they have to kind of do some deep digging to figure out because the cards don't make sense. Like they can't understand the hand, which leads us to, (laughs) yes, we're going to jump right into it, her past Mm -hmm. and her history with Gavin. Yeah. Who she grew up with in Reno and they have a history. They were in love. We will dig way more into their relationship and all that entails, but she has to reach out to him for a consult because he is a World Series poker player winner, Mm -hmm. really incredible with cards, has, and what they come to find out is that this deck of cards is his design. It's based upon his tattoo. You mentioned the deck of cards is made after the tattoo that he has on his arm, and we come to learn that it's the two swans from their relationship, Otis Mm -hmm. and Odette, where they had this special place on the pond or the lake or whatever it was where they, you know, would go and share picnics and things with Otis and Odette in the background. And we'll talk a little bit more as we get into their history as a couple about, you know, the special meaning that Otis and Odette have in their relationship. But ultimately, it's his tattoo that leads them to each other and him consulting on this case. And I love that her superiors were supportive of that. Obviously, they don't know the history of the relationship. Right, right. Well, she doesn't withhold that information for too long, which I was thankful for because I thought, how are you going to get through that if they find out that you have had like a major history with this person Yeah, and he's consulting? And so, and at that point, you don't really know. Like there's a deck of cards that's inspired from his tattoo. So in my mind, I'm like, wait... Because it was dual point of view, so mm-hmm. I'm thinking, they wouldn't have made him a killer and given him a voice with it. <laughs> Did you really think he might For have like been a, a killer? For like a split second, okay. and then I thought, that's ridiculous. I mean, Sheridan wouldn't do that. So anyway, yeah. So. I love that he gets to consult because that's how we basically get their their time together back, and we, yeah. we learn more about their relationship and, of course, building on that chemistry together. Mm-hmm. Part of the murder case, as we move forward, each one, like you mentioned, it had the deck of cards, and each one of these murders is going to have different game pieces that plays an important role in trying to help the team of detectives identify the victims. Right. Which I thought was so clever. I was very intrigued because I did kind of wonder, is this just going to be a continuation of like the deck of cards, but then we get the dice? And then we get the chess piece. Mm-hmm. So I it's like one playing off another. I know, and I and when you really start to well, let's backtrack for a split sec, because when we get into that with the first victim, they find out that they're like within the folds of her clothing. Mm-hmm. There is a letter, so the killer starts telling their story of just a part of their life, and and. It's almost like their relationship with their mother. And I just found it very, this is where I was on on the the edge edge of your seat. Yes, this is where I'm on the edge of my seat because he always references playing games with his mom and then he's kind of, you know, attaching that to his victims. It was just very interesting. I loved the letters. I loved that it kind of gave us this window into the killer's mind frame Mm -hmm. and started giving us clues about his past. And I was definitely with Sienna on this. I was on the fence about whether he was telling the truth or if it was a lie. And I got to say, I got to toot my own horn a little bit here because 
very early in my notes reading this book, I wrote Norman Bates, question mark, question mark, question mark. I thought that too. Major vibes. Yes. Norman Bates vibes. And I thought he definitely killed these people. It was not the mother. I agree. I was thinking that too. And then I thought in these letters, he very much idolizes his mother, but he paints her in this picture of too good to be true yeah like stepford wife yes yeah stepford wives i wrote that down too i'm like this is very yeah yeah Yeah, very (laughs) creepy so but one of the things about the letters that this is where we can we jump into why we love that mia sheridan's able to write these characters okay mia sheridan is so gifted in the way she writes these anti-heroes because when you read you can't be on board with what they're doing. Correct. If you are, you should talk to somebody. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say, you do get a glimpse into the reason behind their actions. Mm-hmm. Now, let me be clear. Through these murders and the things, the details that come out, he is not justified in what he has done. But I hurt for him because although this is a, we come to find out this is a grown man doing all of this stuff, he's in his 30s, I hurt for this young man who has endured significant abuse. And this is where the trigger warning comes in. Mm -hmm. So if you did not heed our warning in the intro, now you need to back out if this was troubling and you have not read this book. I just, I hurt for him. And so when you're getting a glimpse into his world, what he had endured, which is truth, Mm -hmm. not the mother part, but what the abuse he was... you know, the way he was victimized by his father, by a teacher. He kind of romanticizes it a little bit in his mind through his mom. Like you mentioned, he idolizes Mm -hmm. her. So I think that's a coping mechanism for him. For sure. As he's processing. And Mia does such a beautiful job in her stories. You said kind of she works the antihero, but she makes you feel... Like your heart is softened toward them. Mm-hmm. You feel a little bit empathetic, a little sympathetic towards them. And you're really, you don't want to feel these things. In fact, Sienna has this same struggle. thought press in mm-hmm. this and the struggle that she has. She's starting to feel sad for the killer. And, you know, through his history of abuse and him feeding Trevor the little boy, which we'll talk about. And Mia just really humanizes the antihero in a lot of her stories. And it makes for some really compelling discussion. (laughs) It really made me think about the difficulty that a lot of detectives in our police force and first responders kind of have when they come upon these situations that they know are not okay. Mm -hmm. And but you start to slip into that morally gray You start to want to justify the reason behind the action. I think that's a really good point. And I think that it's it's interesting to think about because I'm sure there are definitely scenarios like you mentioned that these people in, you know, the police force and emergency medical services have to deal with on a daily basis where it's this gray area of, you know, like you mentioned, it's a scenario that you know they shouldn't be in. Mm -hmm. But then when you learn the history of it, you feel softened to those people. Well, I think our heart is softened to those who have been made a victim. Mm -hmm. And so their actions are not okay. I'm not saying everybody that's been victimized needs to go out and start taking out the people that have wronged them. But you also do kind of, I don't know, it's a slippery slope. I'm going to end it there. Let's let's continue on. The moral quandary that that Sienna faces here in this. And us as readers. And us as readers, for sure. Let's shift into Sienna and Gavin's history as a couple. Let's talk about them and their relationship in the past and then kind of where they are today. Okay, so that was very heartbreaking because we, it takes a little bit to find out 
why because they were why they're separated they were so in love they were going to get married amy mm-hmm. they were going to get married she was at what was it city hall i'm assuming in her wedding dress in the wedding dress and he did not show oh and i just could not now i understood why she was struggling so much which i want to applaud her because i don't think that i could have been as calm as Sienna was when she had to come face to face with Gavin, having been so in love with him, they're getting. She their, says that he's my soulmate. Yeah, they yeah. House everything. Yeah, and so she just he left her. He left her and didn't tell her, and then joins the, the services mm-hmm. and yeah the military and then starts playing poker. He has a fan club, or he had at one point, which was so comical to me. But I thought as some her partner, which I loved. Um, Cat. Yeah, when she says that about the fan club, she's like, that's got to be hard. She's like, yeah, because that's what everybody wants to hear is their ex has a fan club. I think that wasn't that between Sienna and Cat. Yeah, I think so. So that made me, that part was funny because I thought, yeah, true. Nobody wants their ex to have a fan club, like a literal fan club. So... They just, I don't know, their past was very sad to me. And the time that they lost, I mean, it is no secret that you're not a fan of time jumps here. But there's obviously been more than a decade since they've seen each other and just the heartbreak that she went through. And she didn't realize until much later into the story that he was dealing with the heartbreak too. She thought Mm -hmm. it was just her because he left. And ultimately, he walked away because... He was warned that she needed to walk her own path by her mother, which which was, was weird. a horrible, horrible <laughs> mom. We have to state that that a part of Sienna's strong like bond with Gavin is because she was so close to Gavin and Maribel, his mom, because her home life was a nightmare, mm-hmm. an absolute nightmare, and they really kind of took her in, and so they just have this strong relationship. But what was so sad to me is that. We kind of get a glimpse that Gavin has compared every woman to her and he can't move on. And we know that she's technically in a relationship with a guy that she sees a future with or she's planning a future with. I don't know, I don't know that I ever really bought into that she could see a future with him. Same. Let's pause on Sienna and Gavin and let's spend a couple minutes talking about Brandon. Brandon. Oh, Brandon. Brandon. He's the placeholder, I feel like. Uh, yeah. Just... You know, biding his time. Mm-hmm. What a sleazeball. Isn't he? I think Isn't so. He? I mean, we don't get a ton of details, but he just gives just off enough. those vibes. He doesn't support her. Mm-mm. He doesn't, um, in any aspect of her life, right. we come to find out. And he's just kind of a placeholder. Yeah. I didn't like him. The second that we find out that he is not supportive of her career, mm-hmm. I thought, mm, I don't like him very much. And then when you find out, the reason why she has been transferred from New York to Reno and the little bit of stuff that he does behind her back. He goes to this gala event and with a woman woman, that he works with Mm -hmm. and there's just a lot of icky factors with Brandon that I just loved the moment when Gavin Googled him. Yes. And then tells her, you need to look him up. You need to look him up. You deserve better. I, was I loved just, Gavin in that I moment. did, too. I was thinking, I was on the sidelines cheering. Woo! Yes. <laughs> Fight for her. Fight for your girl. Because uh-huh. this guy is, you know. And he wasn't being malicious about it. He legit thought, I'm going to see if he's a decent guy. Mm-hmm. And he was not at all. 
Yeah, so I felt like he was just kind of a placeholder to yeah. fill in the gap a bit. Obviously, yeah. he lacked. We were happy that she got rid of him. <laughs> we were definitely we happy. Kick him to the curb. So you talked about her reason for leaving New York. Let's go ahead and dig into the true reason that she left New York. And I want to kind of tie in this conversation that she's having with Gavin. Ultimately, we find out what happened because she's telling Gavin the story. And I just love Gavin's response to this. So let's briefly talk about the reason why she's transferred to um, Reno from New York. Yeah. She comes to discover that one of the guys that's working on the mayor's campaign is heavily involved in some child molesting and just some really promiscuous activity. And when she goes to confront the powers that be, she is ultimately told to let it lie and basically turn a blind eye to this. And this Mm -hmm. does not sit well with her. And I have so much respect for her Mm -hmm. and her choice to move forward in trying to arrest this man. I am telling you, when she went against all orders from her captain, from the mayor, Mm -hmm. and arrest that guy, I was applauding, cheering. I just could not love her more. So much respect. And one of the things that I absolutely loved in this scene is that she's telling Gavin this. Just Gavin had no doubt in his mind that her response to this was completely natural. He expected this response from her. He expected her to step up to the plate and go head to head with the powers that be. And he is so proud of her. And we get that inner dialogue of Sienna, how she has not had the support of literally anyone, Mm -hmm. not even her coworkers, Mm -hmm. her um, people in her family or her relationships, close relationships. Gavin is literally the first one to basically be like, I applaud you for what you did. And I have so much respect for you. Well, I love the description that she gives is that she could see the pride in his eyes because there were some people on the force with her that agreed with her. But then she said when everything was falling down, Mm -hmm. they all pulled back. Yeah. Just, you know who your friends are and people who don't want to rock the boat or jeopardize their own careers, that they are willing to just fall in line with those who say, "Mm -mm." little worker bees, I'm telling you. So that moment you realize just, I don't know, I, I think for her, it was bringing back all those emotions that she had never had that, that she had gone so long without somebody being in her corner. The guy that she sees the future with. She thinks in her mind, I didn't even receive that from Brandon. Yeah. Red flag. 100% red flag. I mean, she should have let him go then. I think so too. Yeah. I love that as in the present, their relationship is starting to shift and they're starting to have these deeper conversations. She starts to realize, as we mentioned, she's not the only one that has had this heartache through the years. And we, we get to learn that Gavin has been suffering too without her and that it really was a difficult decision for him to move on. I also like to see them kind of flirting a little bit, going Mm -hmm. on dates and things. And I love it when he takes her back to see Otis. We learn that Odette has passed away. Brutally. Brutally brutally murdered. murdered. That was sad. Um, Yes. I love that he takes her back to the water and Otis is there and she's just having these special memories from their time together. I love that she was a little frustrated because she said, you said you didn't know where they placed him. So that was kind of a sweet little surprise for her. After she has this conversation with Gavin about the reason why she was transferred here, he also mentions that Mirabelle, his mother, whom basically was a mother figure to Sienna all these years, 
has been really missing her and really wanting her to come over for dinner. She gets, um, she learns that Sienna's back in town. So let's talk about Mirabelle. I love their bond. You know, she took her in when she was the seven-year-old little girl that's just kind of hurting bad home life. And she's so close to her. I love, I, you know this about me. I have a high sense of smell. And so I kind of, I store memories from that. I associate a lot of things with smell. And so one of the things that she always kind of references is like this distinct smell of her home Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. You could feel that Maribel felt like home to her. Yeah. That was one of the things that was so tragic when Gavin left her. She lost Maribel too. She lost that support, that family that she had. She literally had no one. When they reconnect and she sees her, she sees Argus, and he does the little coin trick. Oh, I loved that. Was that not the sweetest thing? So sweet. Oh, it just made my heart so happy I for love Mirabelle and Argus too, by the way. I do too. <laughs> I love Argus. Yes, I love their relationship and just, it was just magical. <laughs> and, um, but when she's at this dinner, you know, we talk about the pride that Gavin has for the reason why she came back and that they have that discussion at this dinner of why she came back. Amy, when they tell the story and Maribel gets up from the table and is just teary-eyed, crying, so proud of her for this decision, it just clicked with Sienna. She needed that. She needed that. She needed that validation that I made the right decision. Mm -hmm. She absolutely did. And it's so sad that that's how it is in the real world. But you have these people who, no matter what, no matter the cost, you made the right call. Yeah. And we have to also make a nod, too, to her new captain. Her new captain, that was why she wanted her. That's true. So I want to just kind of put that out there, yeah. that that was just, she just ends up in this great place in Reno with these people who back her decision because it was the right one. Yeah. I love that she has that support around her now. Let's shift back into the murder cases and focusing a lot on Danny's notes, the murderer's notes. And we're learning more as we you know, make it through the book. We're learning about his past and his history. And we've already talked a lot about how he's including things in there that just make us sensitive and mm-hmm. softened heart to him. I enjoyed the the puzzle aspects of that. I like how there were things woven throughout. I don't know that I would have picked up on most of the clues that they had in there until after the fact. I'm like, oh yeah, it seems kind of obvious looking back. But in the moment, I didn't pick up on a lot of those clues in there. And I just really, and I just really enjoyed reading through these and really growing a soft heart for the antihero. So there was one thing, if we're talking about clues, in Danny's letters, he references the smell and the potpourri mm-hmm. of a his few mom's times. house. Mm-hmm. Now, I said, I made mention that Sienna makes mention of Maribel's house. And I thought to myself, how odd. They have the same smell and potpourri. That's mm-hmm. so interesting. And then I thought, there's no way. And then I was thinking... Wait, this is a little bit why I thought, is it Gavin? Because there, Sienna and Maribel have a moment when she's younger and she doesn't want her to see pictures out of this box when she's giving her this jewelry for a party. And she talks about how her husband was not a nice man. And I thought to myself, this is interesting. But I never once thought that Danny would be connected to Maribel. So I just dismissed it and moved on. I, I was too. so annoyed with myself in the end. I was really annoyed because I, you know, we pride ourselves that we pick up on these things. I mean, I do for sure because yeah. I'm like, I know. And I did not. I dismissed it and I didn't see that clue. I did the same. Were you able to pick up on the victims 
what their connection would be. Were you struggling to no, try I to figure out? No, I was struggling. Yeah. I was struggling. I, and even in the end, I mean, it took right up until Maribel was thinking through her connection to each of these people. Right. So I, yeah, I did not pick up on any of their connections. I knew they would be con- connected, but I didn't know how. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's ultimately towards the end of these letters when we start to learn that Danny's father was with Maribel. Let's talk about that. Mirabel, towards the last quarter of the book, she has picked up on some notes at Sienna's house, and she's basically rewritten them at her home. She's trying to figure out the spelling of the word violet, essentially. Mm-hmm. And so this is really where it kicks off the fast pace, like towards the last 25% of the book where we're starting to put all the pieces together and we're learning about all these different things that had transpired. And we learn about Danny's father and how, because at this point, one of the people that were murdered was his biological father. And we found out that he's been living in a home with his corpse for a while, which can we just briefly talk about how gross that is? Well, okay. I did have some confusion with that because was he not like 10 or 11 when he says that she killed him in a card game. So Amy, if that, if I'm not mistaken, I'm 100%, I'm almost 100% positive. He was like 11 years old. He was young. He was 15 when his teacher takes him under his wing. And I'm pretty sure that that didn't last, but like, wasn't less than a year. Mm -hmm. So how old does an 11 year old live in a house with a corpse, no finances, no job, Goes to school. Part of me wonders if he didn't actually kill these people until later. But he'd been been dead for 20 years, it said. Mm Mm-hmm. Ugh. I don't want to think about that, Sarah. That's really It's been driving me crazy. I want to reach out to Mia Sheridan and just ask Mia Sheridan if by any chance, miracle, you listen to this, please message us and explain. Yeah, we want to know. Because I need to know. Yeah, I was a bit horrified. <laughs> but mm. yeah, I didn't put that together until right this minute. Well, and then when like they get patches and one of their discoveries was mm-hmm. just, which was his teacher that abused him. Ugh. Yeah. Where oh. did he keep him? Who, his dad? <laughs> Both of them. <laughs> well, that's a good point. I mean, his dad was in the bed the whole yeah, time. Yeah, but did he drag him? An 11-year-old drag him upstairs? Maybe he killed him there. So maybe the killings didn't happen the way they play out in the letters. Maybe that was part of the fabrication of his letters. Let's just leave some room for um, some ambiguity here just from the letters because I can't wrap my brain around that, (laughs) honestly. Sorry. That's a a wee bit disturbing to think about an 11. I don't know why I didn't pick up on that. I should have. Hmm. Interesting. There's a lot... (laughs) There's a lot of questions in my mind right now. There's a lot right now that we're disappointed in ourselves. It is a lot. We didn't talk about um, Trevor, the little boy that they found in one of the first houses. So let's, um, the very first woman that was murdered, they go to her address and there's this boy, Trevor, who's in this home and he's obviously been there for a few days alone. Mm -hmm. Super, super sad. But it becomes clear that someone's been feeding him Mm -hmm. and he basically tells Sienna and Gavin that it was the man and so we learn this is another example of us having a soft heart towards him is he's been taking care of Trevor while he's been home alone so Mm -hmm. see I couldn't get past this because my daughter is five and that little boy was five Mm -hmm. you pictured your daughter in Mm -hmm. that age and handling all Mm -hmm. of that Yeah. yeah just if like I go to my bedroom and I she's watching a show and she didn't hey mommy's running to the bedroom and mommy, where are you at? You know, like there's no, mm-mm, nope, 
Nope. When they describe the stuffed animals, Amy on the couch, whew, okay. That's where tears for me were kicking in because he was just bringing all his little comfort and my daughter is all about her stuffies. It's out of control. <laughs> so I just picture my little five-year-old daughter with all her little stuffies trying to find some trying to find some alone. comfort and I couldn't this was a that that was a hard scene for me mm-hmm. yeah I can see I can see that and of course you know picturing someone that you know of that age and helping to kind of visualize that it definitely heightens the emotions for oh, sure for sure and then some strange man is feeding them that is yeah no. that's do you think that your daughter if someone brought food and you hadn't been there would she take the food okay I did really ponder this no one she wouldn't be able to get the door open okay because she wouldn't be my daughter would not be able to get the door open two I think it would terrify her if it was someone she did not know knocking on her door we're all stranger danger awareness and there's no way now even if she's been home alone for several days like, and she's just not sure It would have at. to be so unbelievably convincing, the person at the door, that they're just, no. Okay. No. And, and the thing, but now let me say this. I thought about the situation and I thought about, here's a little boy. They say he's been left alone a lot. Mm-hmm, that's true. So the circumstances, when you take somebody's home life and you shift it from what we have at my house versus to a child that's. That's not uncommon to be alone. That's not uncommon for them to go hours without an adult being present. It's a completely different world. That's fair. There is one more topic that I want us to talk about in regards to Danny and some of his letters here. It's in the scene where he's talking about Smiles asking him if he wanted to go see a movie. And I want to just read a short passage from this that I want us to talk about. And he asks in the letter, he gives a couple of options for Smiles on whether or not he would go on the date. And he said he wasn't sure which one he'd hope for. And then he says, no, that's a lie. And I'm trying my best not to lie. Are we always aware of our lies? He wonders. Don't we all lie constantly, whether meaning to or not, whether acknowledging it or not? He sees himself in a certain light, and even doing that here now, he's presenting himself to Sienna in the way he perceives himself to be. But perhaps the perception is inaccurate. So he's saying, perhaps your perception of me would be different if I portrayed myself differently than how I view myself. So is false perception the same as a lie? It's an excellent question. He wishes that he would have had people to explore these questions with, so here we are. Let's explore them on behalf of Danny. Hmm. I need to think about this for a second. What are your thoughts? He says, what if you hold tight to that false perception because the truth would be unbearable? So he's finding a way maybe to safeguard some things that have happened to him, and so he's portraying. He's giving a clue right here. Mm -hmm. He's, He's basically alluding to the fact that the things that he's talking about in his letter are really just how he's portraying it to the reader. And he's, Mm -hmm. because the truth of things is a little bit too unbearable. Like the crimes that he's committed, the people that he has murdered might be a little bit too unbearable or the things that he had to deal with. So I think it's an interesting thing to think about how we can definitely change the way people perceive us to be. Sure. But he's asking, is his perception of himself a lie? So... I'm wondering if he's having this inner struggle. I mean, it brings me kind of back to that Norman Bates vibe Mm -hmm. where he's visualizing a mother that's not 
there doing these things. That's really not. Yeah. Do you think he was actually visualizing a mother? I think so. I think he was visualizing a mother to, he asks, would the truth be unbearable? So I have to change the perception. So maybe he creates this mother figure in his mind. Well, they do say that he blacks out whenever the murders occur. So here's what I would believe. I think that if we were to take this for the way you and I are perceiving this is that he cannot cope with the abuse he's enduring. Mm -hmm. And in order to make it stop, because nobody is there to make it stop, he chooses a coping mechanism where he kind of goes out of his head and creates this other persona. Mm -hmm. Almost, I mean, is that split personality? What would that be? Or um, there's a there's a difference between multiple personality disorder and split personality. See, it would almost seem to me, and maybe I'm I could be completely wrong that it would be a split personality because you're you're shutting down one side to become somebody else in order to do what you need to do. But the thing that that would I wouldn't be sure on is that he does remember. Mm -hmm. Like in the end, we know he knows he killed them. Yeah. So here's what I would say. I think that we all go through things in life where we have to find a way to cope. Yeah. I don't really know if I would look at it as in this is a lie. More of a coping mechanism. A coping mechanism. Sure. Yeah. Because there are certain things I know within my life I think to myself, I have to shut thoughts down and I have to cope. And it's also kind of a fake it till you make it. I mean, don't we all (laughs) kind of, you know, there are certain things we don't want people to see. I mean, how many times do we, you know, I'm not like super, I'm really bubbly with the people I know, but if I don't know you, I come across as really shy. Well, sometimes I'm in situations I can't be shy. Yeah. So I have to put on this Hey, yeah. I'm totally like the life of the party. Let's roll. Happy to be here. Yeah, and I'm not. I would rather be home reading. So, you know, <laughs> so it just, you know, I don't I don't know. Don't we all kind of have that? I think so. We're going to pick it up here and we're going to shift into the end of the story. We know that Danny has captured Mirabelle and is ultimately drawing Gavin and Sienna to this building that's going to be torn down. We don't know it at the time. Let's talk briefly about the death of Argus and leading into this final scene, these final scenes here. Okay. Were you surprised that he killed Argus? Absolutely. I was too. I wasn't surprised that he captured him because Mm-mm. the silver coin was a, a right. dead giveaway for that. I was surprised that he killed him and I was saddened by that. I hated that for all of them, Mirabelle mm-hmm. and, and Gavin and Sienna, all of them, because they really loved him and he was a huge part of their life. For many years. Right. I hated that both Mirabelle and Sienna basically just had to go into, I'm not going to process this right now. Well, like, and Gavin is- too, because Gavin finds him and he yes. thinks, I'm sorry, Argus, I can't call anybody for you. Yeah, I'm just going to have to process this later. Mm-hmm. And they ultimately go to this big building, this old rundown casino slash hotel. Right. And that is where he has his final end game here. There's a lot of truth that's coming out through this because we need to just make quick mention. We said that Danny's father was Maribel's first husband. Mm -hmm. We find out that Maribel was getting those notes and she is actually Violet. Yes. Which what Gavin does not know is that Danny was his older brother. Right. So Danny uh, was five years old that's right no, yeah it was around seven. five five seven seven i think five or se- seven seven sounds right seven the dad is abusing the mom gavin is only two and he plays a game this is where it's, it's gonna horrible. tie in this is a horrible game 
because Danny uses the same game. And when Maribel says he's recreating that night, I got chills because the dad says you can only take one. Let's play a game of hide and seek. And she picked the fair, she made the fair choice because Gavin was two. Yeah. How's he he going to hide? Right. And she says as she's running away, hide Danny, hide. And Mm -hmm. she's thinking he can do this. He can hide. So when they're at this casino that's getting ready to be torn down the next day, which I was having like my heart was raising. Well, another, we find out another way that Mia humanizes him is that he did hide in a cabinet and his dad found him. I know. Amy, I'm so sad. I hated that. Well, in this scene when Maribel hears, doesn't hear anything, and then she runs out and she sees him in the back of the car. He sets Ugh. up and she's screaming yeah. for him. Uh, did yep. he not see her chasing him? Did she? Did he, he must not, not see? have. Or if he, I mean, he just walked that he out, can't, I guess. He, as a child, he processed process, differently. Yeah. yeah. Back to the casino scene. Yeah, they're having to basically run for their life while solving all of these puzzles to get out. And they have a timeline because the building is scheduled to be demolished Mm -hmm. at a certain time the next morning. So they have very limited time on this. I loved how they kind of outwitted him and Mm -hmm. solved the next room's puzzle before they even opened the doors. That was smart. Yeah, and how Gavin rushed. And man, the things that Gavin's having to process. Gavin, this is kind of a... There's a lot of things being revealed to him this night he's finding out that his mom is really violent he's finding out that his brother is really or that he has a brother i should say that his brother has killed his dad that his brother's killed argus this is a lot for him to process yeah you know his i i kind of felt for gavin because there's a lot of truths being revealed in one night I agree. And then when they finally shift into that final moment where they're running out of time and it's clear that a choice is going to have to be made, oh. how did you feel in the moment where Maribel makes the choice to stay with Danny after all that he's done? As a mother, I would have done the same. Yeah. I would have done the same because, you know, she didn't choose Gavin because she loved Gavin more. Right. That was not, and I, and I understand that as a mom of two children, I completely understand I would have to go with the child that would need me the most mm-hmm. in that horrible, horrible situation. But in the end, knowing everything that my son had endured, and she didn't even know. Yeah. She didn't even know everything. She just knew that there was a lot. And I'm kind of thankful that she was spared to know the I abuse so that he had endured. Because that was my fear is how is she going to live with the knowledge of everything that happened to him? Because of the choice because that she made. Because of the made. choice that she made. So I I was I was happy. And the moment, honestly, when she comes down to him and he starts sobbing, Amy. And Broke your heart, curls into her stomach and she holds him. It just, there's a lot, there's a lot there because he's just... This man who is a scared, hurting little boy. And mm-hmm. he just needed his mom. Yeah. And it doesn't justify. Please don't misunderstand, listeners, that I'm justifying anything that Danny did. But no matter what, that is her child. Yeah. And he endured was, a lot. That was a, such an emotional scene. It was hard to read. Knowing that, of course, as a mother, she would make that choice. And then having to basically say goodbye to Gavin. And Gavin knowing, and then when Gavin is like running and trying to, carrying Sienna, who's been shot, Mm -hmm. she's losing blood, she's trying to remember. Also, what redeeming moment, honestly, okay, I say redeeming, and that's probably going to sound bad, but I'm going to stand by it. Danny has a redeeming moment in the end. 
because he gives Sienna the code to get out. Yeah. He if, saves... Ultimately, if he hadn't done that, they wouldn't have gotten out. No, he they would not. And he chooses to save their lives. I don't know if it's because his mom chose him. I would like to think that that played a part. Yeah. So, but they we know that they do. They do get out and like literally the last second they get out. And I was so thankful for that. I was too. And I really liked the fact that we get to the end of the story and we learn that Gavin and Sienna have adopted Trevor, the little boy that was mm-hmm. left alone. I loved that so much for their happily ever after. I really, really love that they did that because Sienna really felt for that little boy because she had kind of lived that mm-hmm. lifestyle and as a child. And to be able to kind of make amends in some small fraction yeah. of a way, it just, I don't know, it, it felt like it, it fit for them. And I also like that it, some time had passed. It was like four months. They had kind of grieved. I loved also, too, with their happily ever after that they did not waste time. They got married. Yes. Oh, I loved that, that too. That was great. For them, especially with all the time that had passed. Yeah. Thank this you, was, Mia, for that. Yes. This was a, such a great story. Solid story from Mia. Yeah, We're huge fans. It was it was great. And if you haven't read anything else by Mia Sheridan, we encourage you strongly go check out all of her stories. She is just a phenomenal writer, such a gem. We enjoy her. So thank you so much for joining us on this episode as we discuss Bad Mother. We hope you enjoyed it and want to continue the discussion with us. We would love to hear from you. What were your favorite parts of the story? Did you empathize with Danny? How did you feel? Hit us up on Instagram at Postbook Depression Podcast or on Facebook in our Postbook Depression Discussion Group. You can also email us at postbookdepressionpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, keep reading. Bye.